0: Can you, like, hum to me? Yeah, there we go. It's that time again. The Midnight Podcast with Chase and Drew. Sweet sounds. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. You are here with the one and only Redbeard of Poker and, <laughs> and that other guy that speaks a lot, uh, Andrew. Andrew. Thank you guys for listening in. Um, Chase and I are going to tune out or turn out a lot of content for you guys in the next coming weeks. Chase, you want to let them know what's coming up? We got something really special on the next Poker Cast.
1: Your yes. Harsh- I, well, I didn't want to announce it until it was official, but like Phil Hellmuth, the legend, agreed to come on the pod. So if he lets us down, now it's on the public record, and we get to shame him publicly.
0: Yep. All 153 of you and counting get to make him feel really, really bad on his uh, Twitter and social media accounts. Um, so what's been going on? It's only been a couple weeks. Uh, I know you back in Baltimore. I'm out here in Cali. What have you been up to? Uh, we actually, so
1: I played with Phil in LA and played the tournament with him. I, I played a good amount with him, probably three or four hours of the tournament I was with him, maybe more. And so I was playing him with with him in L.A., and I mentioned to him, like, hey, Phil, when are you coming back uh, to my neck of the woods to MGM National Harbor? And sure enough, Phil was coming, like, a couple weeks after L.A., and just uh, just finished up his – he comes out for a charity event. So when he comes out, it's perfect. There's a, uh, some local guys that set up a cash game. So we were playing cash – I was playing cash with him all weekend. It was great. We played – three nights we played thursday friday saturday
0: i mean i would i would tell you and this is me being like i'm usually pretty sarcastic but being 100 percent serious i would probably pay like up to a 20 dollar cover charge to watch you and phil play in any game of pokers and <laughs> turn or cash and just banter with each other and as long as i get like good movie style popcorn you got to have like liquid butter or like just sprinkle stuff, but I would I would definitely listen for a couple hours because it's honestly pretty entertaining. And um, we won't spoil later in this uh, podcast. We're going to talk about LAPC, but I mean, you're playing with uh, Phil at your table as you made a pretty deep run, uh, and he did as well in the main event of LAPC. Yeah. But so, um,
1: spoiler spoiler, I went out nineteenth. Phil went out, I think fifteenth. Yeah. So yeah, we on the home stretch. we we played a little bit together on the last day. And but, actually I played with him a lot on day two. Yeah.
0: I mean, it's still up on your Instagram, I think. Like there's a lot of good um I mean, you I know you weren't able to capture it all, and we'll we'll save some of the stories um for actually our LAPC segment, but it's just great stuff. So if you guys are are curious, go, go <laughs> to recording rant. <laughs> was great. Did he you know oh, you I were missed recording time? or were you on the uh, download? Were you trying to be a creeper? I mean, you-
1: I was trying to be discreet, but I was also like, whatever, I'm sure this happens to Phil all the time. So I was just kind of going for it. And I didn't even get some of his best moments, man. Like, he went on a good, like, one-minute rant, like, early on uh, day two. And I was like, oh, man, I should have recorded the whole thing. Phil's great, man. He's so fun to play with. I'm, I'm pumped to have him on the pod and talk to him.
0: Yeah. I mean, we're really, really excited. Um, part of this, I mean, we'll mention this later in the podcast as well, but for anyone out there that's listening to us and we'll put it up probably on our social media as well. If you guys have specific questions, um, we're going to vet some of them and ask them, uh, or ask Phil some of your questions. So feel free to, um, write into us, email us, uh, or hit up chase or my, uh, Instagram, let us know what you guys want to know or what us, what you want us to ask Phil. Um, so that's that's good. I mean, I know that you've been you've been trying to make your. I think you, what is your one of your goals this year? You said twelve hundred hours. Um, yeah,
1: man. I mean, I don't know if that's gonna happen, honestly. I know. Gosh, that's so lame. Hundred hours a month is not that much, and it's like twenty five hour work week. But uh, I don't know. I don't know if I'm gonna get there or not. We'll see. Especially yeah. because it was uh, a twelve hundred cash game hours. Yeah, so. that's,
0: that's, I mean like I'm just going to take the under. I'm just going to be officially like I would actually set the real real market like 900 but but part of it is you've you've uh gotten to a point in your career where you're you're playing the 1025 and the 2550 and um and those games mainly are going uh, a little bit sporadically so I know that that's something that the factors right, in like after yeah. playing with Phil we
1: we're playing Twenty five, fifty blinds and a $200 big blind ante, and, which is a huge game. Most people were in the game for minimum 10,000. I think actually the min mine was 5K, but most people brought 10 of, I mean, some of us bought, brought, bought in 100K. So he was playing very deep. It was a big game. And after three days of that, I was just like, man, I'm not playing poker for at least two or three days after this. I was just mentally exhausted
0: and rightfully so yeah i bet well and then i've actually been um been inspired to play a lot more i've been so after slaving away in the salt mines of lapc for about uh, eight weeks straight working 60 hour weeks it was pretty brutal um i've taken three weeks off work so i've been playing poker almost every day actually live in a one of the SoCal casinos like hawaiian gardens um played a bicycle a couple times and uh been running well um playing okay um but one thing I've really enjoyed, and I, I get the pleasure of doing, is going through hand histories with you. You know, mm-hmm. which is always good because I'm sitting there typing in my phone, uh, and and we get to review them. Um, do you want? Is it cool if I share one of them? I think yeah. One let's of the more listen. To one? Okay, so let me let me just grab my phone really quick. But um, I'm mainly right now playing smaller no limit games because. For me, you know, I've got a background in some MTT online from, from five, seven years back and a lot of limit. So for me, I'm trying to transition out of that limit mindset and it's a little bit hard um, just for our listeners to kind of put it in a context. So I'm not that experienced in no limit, truthfully, um, cash. So I'm playing a game. Uh, it's a $200 buy-in game. Uh, that's the minimum and the maximum. You have to buy in 200. And the blinds are small blinds, two, big blinds, $3. Um, in this particular hand, we are in, believe the small blind. Let me just grab, grab my notes really quick. So we, oh, I'm I'm sorry, I'm on the button. So we have two people limp for three dollars, and then I over limp the button with H four diamonds. I think I I worked my stack up to about a little under three hundred at this point. Um, to directly to my left, there's a a well dressed lady and her husband that have been playing, and and they haven't done anything outrageous they're trying to play good poker um they're a little bit beyond recreational but she's shown her ability to like stab at pots and semi bluff a little bit um so she completes a small blind it's just an extra dollar so we expect her her range to be pretty wide flops ace four or five um two clubs okay i see are five four or five way to this flop yeah we're, we're five way to the flop flops ace four or five two clubs and a heart i have ace four of diamonds so i'm on the button i flop top and bottom um there is a flush draw small blind big blind you know it's unraised pot so ranges are pretty wide especially because this is a recreational game um one thing you and i had been talking about a lot and i'm trying to frame my mindset around that's way different from limit is is how many streets of value our our hand might have do you want to kind of quickly go over the concept chase no some people might be familiar but it was something different for me to think about transitioning from limit
1: Definitely. I think you picked it up on a podcast, maybe like a red ship or Jonathan little or something like that. And where, when you see a board come out, you should be looking at your hand strength to see how many streets of value can I get? Now you're pretty much assuming on safe runouts, you know, board textures change, especially a texture like this, Ace four file with flush draw and straight draws out there. Um, So you're pretty much thinking how many streets of value do I get on, a brick runouts, like good runouts for my hand. And then also, you know, you're going to have to evaluate on, on other runouts. Um, but one thing to think about is on a wet board, you're going to tend to want to get your value early because you want to protect your hand in some regards. So, uh, yeah, just some, some thoughts about that and we'll kind of get into more of it.
0: As we okay. hand. So, so we take this flop five ways I flop top and bottom um, The small blind into a $15 pot There's a lot of uh, It's a heavy rake in California So $6 goes off the table right away But anyways into essentially what should have been a $15 pot She leads $10 um, Middle position Who limped flats uh, And then I decide to make it $40 Which is a uh, I think that's about the pot And um, she ends up calling effective. We both, she has me covered. She's got about five, 600 at this point. I have a, I think about 300 to start the hand and the person who cold called her bet folds. So we're heads up. Mm-hmm. Well, I will say
1: one thing to consider is along with how many streets of value am I going to get? This should also lead you into what kind of bet sizing should I have here? Because, okay. So you have $300 in your stack should be looking at, okay, how much do I raise here and then have a comfortable turn and river bet on good runouts? So those two things kind of go together, but it's easy to get stuck on one and lose the other one. So something to keep in
0: mind. Makes sense. Um, As played, so it's 40, uh, she calls, and then the dead 10 plus another 10. So the pot's about 100 on the turn. Uh, the turn is a six offsuit. So it doesn't complete a flush draw. It doesn't bring a flush draw. It's H four, five, now six. So the board's getting a little bit worse for our hand. Um, she checks. I end up sizing and betting 75 and I left myself with about 150. So I start this hand with a little under 300, looking at my notes. Um, you feel the sizing's fine. About three quarters or, um, yeah, three quarters of a pot. Uh, I do.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I would say somewhere around two thirds three quarters is fine
0: okay so the river is the nine of diamonds so again it's ace four five uh the flush draws clubs the turn is a six of spades the river's a nine of diamonds so there's no flush um so it's ace four five six and a nine so i'm sitting there for a second i'm thinking about like you know against her range what i'm going to be able to size and she doesn't hesitate long and she fires out like about 125 uh so I think for a second and I'm like, well, she certainly could have made aces up, you know, but um, I'm just going to call and see if she's like, look her up because maybe she made, maybe she shot a straight draw and made two pair. Um, and, and I didn't really like the bet, truthfully, because I think um, a female recreational player a lot of times is going to be betting like a pretty strong hand on that spot, truthfully. Uh-huh. Um, but interestingly enough, she ends up showing me the three six. So flops, ace, four, five. She flops an open ender. Uh, She makes a pair on the turn, plays a passive, just calls. Rivers a nine, so she misses, and she just fires out. So we end up winning that pot. But I think that that's a great. It was a great exercise for me talking it back through you with you, just trying to figure out like what type of rivers are am I really shipping it in with? Because there's a lot of bad rivers. Like there's a lot of four straight cards. um, The flush draw can come. Um, I felt like pretty much a nine through king was pretty safe for me to try Mm -hmm. to get, try to get value um, from like a a weaker ace. Um, But I just really didn't know on like ace four, five, six X board. Like, what am I going to be able to safely just put the rest of my, my chips in the middle with.
1: Yeah. It's funny that she chooses to bluff on the river instead of the turn because the turn is a considerable considerably better card for her range. Like the six makes her way more straights than you. Like you're not, too often gonna have a straight when you raise flop and then a six on the turn so it's just it's ironic and this is what you'll see out of more recreational players is where the turn was a really good card for her range and she can kind of rep a lot of nutted hands and then the brick nine comes on the river and she just kind of like spazzes and is like well i can't win uh i'm i'm all in you know
0: yeah so definitely it was confusing because truthfully like um i had no idea what she had. (laughs) like i was just i mean I was just not expecting her at all to, you know, just lead in that spot. And yeah, I mean, it makes some sense what she was trying to do. I think exactly what you're saying, which is like, she was hoping to hit her draw and that she like stack me. And then when she didn't hit her draw, she just like desperation put some chips in the middle and hoped that I would fold, not thinking right. about like what type of hands I'm going to have. But I mean, I am probably folding one pair there quite a bit. I mean, truthfully. Sure.
1: I think it works. Well, yeah. I mean, it's not probably calling if she- Right. If if you actually think about what hands you're most likely to have right there, like you're probably raising a lot of your good aces pre-flop and you're probably not raising your weak aces post-flop. So like, yeah, Uh, this is the kind of thing you're probably going to run into at like the two, three games is people taking these kind of just nonsensical, almost like inconsistent lines where she's not really repping much, except for like sometimes you get owned by someone like slow playing a straight on the turn and then donking river. Yeah, and doing some kind of stuff. But when, whenever I see a line like this, I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty likely to look them up with with any reasonable hand here.
0: Yeah. And, I, and for me, that's essentially my default, which is I haven't I mean, I've probably only put like 20, 25 hours in, but, you know, I'm I'm pretty much defaulting to relative strength against the board if my hand feels like it's strong enough to be calling in the spot i usually am unless the board just runs out terrible like four straight with a flush and just et cetera, et et cetera. um because it's so hard for me to range some of these recreational players um because they're not a lot of the times they're not even like ranging us they're just like well maybe he has ace maybe he has god knows what you know so they're just hoping to hit their hand and improve um back
1: to our um, how many streets of value are you going to get were you planning on shoving river if she checks
0: uh yeah the nine i felt was safe like i was pretty much like board pairs that don't make me a full uh full house so obviously like the five or six pairs like i'm obviously checking back um and then i'm trying to think like like i said nine nine up i'm probably uh just shipping it in and, and hoping mm-hmm. she calls with like um, a single like ace ten ace jackish hand, which is what I'm I expect. I think
1: that's good, and that's consistent with what we said uh, on the flop when we're trying to think about how many streets are we going to get. This is a fairly clean run out. The six on the turn is not ideal, but going six and then a brick on the river um, with that turn action, you should be golden here a lot, a lot of the time. And one one thing to think about too that I think is worth mentioning when you think about how many streets can I get um, it's it's kind of a relief with your stack here that you get to go bet bet shove. Whereas if you're playing really deep and you're looking at making a river bet and possibly getting check raise, this is where like when you're up against better competition that are capable of doing stuff like river check raise bluffs, you have to kind of think, well, should I bet river and open myself up to check raise? But here when you get to go bet bet shove, you really, you don't have to worry about ever getting bluff. So that's also something to think about too.
0: Yeah. And you know, I, I'm going to admit something like I've played a lot of poker in my life uh, and like tournaments, but truthfully, like no limit cash, even though I'm not playing very big is like terrifying to me because it's so much more mentally taxing because like some people just ranging my opponents, it really is a much more complex game and people are turning things over and I'm just like constantly surprised. Like, huh? Like what? You know, and it's just... <laughs> You know, because in limit, for the most part, especially like I play 816 to 2040, at those limits, it's such a showdown game. Like no one is like really trying to triple barrel bluff, you know, like they're semi-bluffing, but they're never running like a completely dry bluff, you know, or or almost never. So it's just uh, assigning a range to a limit player against a board is a lot easier, whereas in this spot, like – It's very, very difficult for me, but it's it's fun. Mm -hmm. I I think I think think one of the things that you're
1: going to find as you transition from limit to no limit is that your like early hand decisions can have much bigger impact on your late hand decisions. So getting a little out of line pre flop or on the flop, um, I think this stuff is going to have a bigger impact in no limit than limit, and that's something you're going to have to get used to. So when you run into tough spots later in the hand, you're going to have to look back and look earlier in the hand and that goes for people that have been playing no limit for a long time if you are finding yourself in difficult river decisions or a lot of bad tough turn decisions you might want to look back and see well was this a cause of my flop decision was i peeling too wide here am i playing too many hands pre-flop like these are things you need to look at but i think you'll find that this is gonna like bend your mind coming from a limit background
0: yeah. I mean, my plan right now is just to show people the nuts a lot and just collect their money and like occasionally venture out from that strategy. Um, but we'll definitely have some more stuff. I think, um, I'm generating some robust, uh, hand histories that we're reviewing. Cause I'm playing at least four to five hours a day, almost every day. So it'll be good. Um, let's talk about a much larger game that you almost played when you're venturing out here to California. I, uh, when I was working at commerce, um, during LAPC, um, uh, will protect his identity but we had someone from uh, a local businessman will say who's been playing really 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 large stakes he he has been congregating a lot of no limit pros and they started off the game playing 100 200 no limit and he's been losing more than winning so he it became like um i think it was like 1 2, one, one, two And I think most recently the game has been spreading 100, 200, 400. So people have won a lot. It's a huge game. Yeah, it's a massive game. I mean, people are opening to like 1,200. The three bet is 3,000 or more. Uh, It's just a really large game. So I know you came out here um, partially hoping to get in that game. Uh, I don't know. Talk to us. Like, I know, I know, I think I was going through a rough patch and you, we just hadn't seen each other for a while, and you were just like, oh, is going on, just kind of whim you decided to come out here? So I wasn't
1: really planning on going to LA, but all the things kind of came into line. I know LAPC is going on, which is always a great tournament, one of the best 10Ks of the year. And then uh, I wanted to see you. You were having kind of a tough time. I was like, yeah, it's, I want to go see the Drew Meister. And then you, you're telling me about there's this 100, 200, 400, no limit game running around this businessman that's, Apparently, just, you know, the game is kind of bananas with him in it. So all these things came together and I was prepared to fire a uh,
0: 40 to 60 K bullet in the game. Well, hold Which- on. Hold on, Chase. Like, well, the one thing I don't want you to do is I don't want you to lie to our listeners because these listeners are like family. We have like a couple hundred listeners maximum. You were not prepared. This guy, tra- <laughs> this guy travels cross country to play a 100, 200, 400, and he doesn't bring money. Like, he's like, eh, you brought. I mean, like, I mean, like the, okay. So, you. So, so oh I my gosh. Got, like, you I. I bigger, but you, you didn't bring
1: enough money to buy in, hardly. Well, yeah. So, I was planning <laughs> on going to the bank and like drawing more money out, but it looked unlikely that the game was going to go after, you know, just talking to some guys around town. So I kind of didn't worry about it. I think I had, like, 20K or so on me. And I was like, "Ah, the game's probably not going to run. Not a big deal. And then all of a sudden the game was maybe going to run. So, like, I had to get a ride to the bank. I had to go to the bank. I had to PayPal a friend of mine that was in town 10K to get 10K more. So I was, like, scraping together a 40K buy-in. And I think I ended up having, like, 40 plus probably access to 20 more or so. It, it was a bit of a nightmare, and I did it to myself, but I was, I was oh my ready gosh. to fire. How,
0: how did this you – you, you finally got totally ready. Consummate pro. Oh, my gosh. Like you're like the only human <laughs> on earth who doesn't travel with big chips because that's the one thing that pros do usually is they'll travel with like Bellagio, $5,000 chips, Commerce, or big chips from certain casinos when they're playing because um, it's a lot easier to take like five chips than to take 25000 in bills cross-country. You know, and, and as a last resort, if they get into action and they need the money, they can usually trade those off with someone else that they know within the community, uh, you know, if you're a verified player. But that, that was the most laughable thing to me is you came out here to play <laughs> this game. And I'm like, OK, well, you know, we're talking about like how deep you're going to sit because the way the game goes is when this business person comes, uh, the game doesn't go obviously without him. He comes and there's a random draw. He always likes the sixth seed. So everyone draws for seats around there and there's no seat changes because it just gets too predatory and just too annoying for him. So pretty much if you draw the seven, eight, nine and you're directly to his left, you love it because one of the things that he does is he loves to like bluff. So he'll run huge triple barrels, like sizing pretty much like pot all the way, uh, or even over pot. So, I mean, he's, he's making like six figure bluffs on the river, uh, you know, it's really putting people in like really gross spots. Like there was a couple times where he's like tabled disgusting bluffs, and people have just lost their minds and quit the game. It's pretty. <laughs> pretty I mean, like you can imagine. I mean, it feels bad like laying down aces on a on a bad board run out. Like the guy has nothing um, for six figures. That would make me quit. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I know you were going to sit a little deeper if you were to his left, a little shorter to his right. Um,
1: and we can we can kind of get into some of the. I don't want to say drama, but just some of the politics, I guess, that goes with these big games. Because I was actually ninth on the list with, and they nine-handed game, so I got the last seat. But understandably, this guy brought a couple. You know, he insisted that a couple be people play in the game, um, and for for reasons I won't get into, but it it was pretty reasonable request. So. It's one of those things, yeah, it's a crappy to get pushed out of this game because the the guy wants to insist that these two players play? Yeah, but the game's running because of him. So, you know, uh, ridiculousness, you know, he can't pull in any huge stunts, but if he wants to play with a couple guys, uh, you, you kind of just have to let him do his thing.
0: Yeah. And I mean, that that's really when you get to a certain celebrity status or like once you're at a certain caliber where the game is going because of you, I think that that's reasonable to a point. Now, if he's coming in like a couple of days a week and he has like a pre-written list and it's becoming like such a burden, um, it's a discussion the casino has to have with him. But it, that, this wasn't the case. I mean, we we won't get into his reasons for privacy, but it was completely reasonable and legitimate. Um, so mm-hmm. it's kind of ironic and it, and it kind of segues well into our next segment. So Chase, the, the day of the main event, so you had an option to either pull out of the main event and play the cash game um, or play the main event. So you get pushed out of the cash game. And you would have played the main uh, event.
1: I'd gone up to unregister my main event buying, so I'd have more money for the cash game.
0: <laughs> like because <laughs> you were to that, that point where,
1: yeah, yeah, it was to that point where the cash game was probably going to go. So I unregister the the 10k main event, and I go to play the cash game. And long story short, I, you know, don't get a seat. And pretty much in a game like that, if you don't get a starting seat, you're not going to be in the game. Like unless someone gets busted and runs out of money to borrow, like they're probably (laughs) going to stay in the game. So I knew that I wasn't going to get in the game. And at that point I was like, well, I guess I'll go play the main event, which I was pretty happy to do.
0: Yeah. And it worked out. So, so walk us through kind of like day by day, you know, like, and and the structure of this, by the way, like you played the main four or five times at this point, you really, really think that this for a 10 K buy an event is just fantastic. right? I do.
1: I, I mean, recently there's actually been, uh, cha- you know, Chainsaw Alan Kessler. Yeah, yeah, he's been like in a Twitter battle with the uh, commerce tournament director about about the structure of it. How Chainsaw didn't think it was a good enough structure. I mean, the guy's unreasonable. It's an awesome structure. It's hour long levels on day one. I think it goes to like hour and a half. The last two levels of day one. And then from there on out, it's all hour and a half levels, and I think it actually gets shortened for the final table because it's televised. But they don't skip any levels. I mean, it's just it's a phenomenal structure, and it's a five day tournament. You know, like it's great. It's it's hard to get much better aside from the World Series book or main event. And you wouldn't want it to be any longer. It's about as long as you could reasonably want it.
0: Yeah. And this year we, we guaranteed one thing we do is we guarantee a million for first. Um, and I don't know. I talked to the Turner director, uh, it's pretty big guarantee. Um, and and in this situation we didn't get, we're hoping to get 700 entrants, but honestly we had at least like 20 or 30 guys locked up in that cash game down there, like waiting Mm -hmm. to play. Uh, so we lost some entries there. Um, we definitely satellite a bunch of people in, they're going to start next year satelliting people in early uh, long story short, we didn't get as many entrants as we wanted. I think we got into the five hundreds. Um, it, yeah, it was just shy of 500. So it, it was a solid turnout. Yeah. I mean, it's still um, good. It just made the
1: payout, uh, top heavy. It, it was a little top heavy. It was a million for first, 600 and some for second, 400 for third. And like, yeah, it was pretty steep. Um, but I mean, it went well for me. So day one, day one was kind of just smooth sailing. Um, You know, I didn't have any super tough tables. They weren't super soft tables either. But kind of just, I mean, I've only played the main event. World Series main event is the only 10K I've played aside from this. So coming into this, I was like, nothing's as soft as a World Series main event. But this was surprisingly soft competition, at least the tables that I played at. So day one, I kind of just coasted. I think I ended the day with... Maybe like eighty thousand from the thirty uh, k starting, so pretty solid. And then it was day two that my starting table day two had the infamous Phil Helmuth at it.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, I remember um, that. that was it was awesome. so fun,
1: and like I don't know what it is about Phil, but I love just like needling him and kind of like jabbing with him. I remember the it was like two or three hands into the day. It was Phil's big blind. This was the first hand I played. I get dealt Ace King, and I give it the old whose big blind is it?" Oh, Phil's. Uh, I guess I'll have to raise it. <laughs> and anyway, I win the hand, and then the very next hand I get Ace Queen, and I'm like, "Oh, who's small blind is it, Phil?" Oh, I'll raise it up, <laughs> and then Phil, like he he kind of let the first one go, and the second time I did, and he's like, "Wow, it's going to be like this all day, huh, buddy?" <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, my great. gosh. And,
1: yeah, and he called me on the second hand, too, and uh, I've made a questionable
0: questionable play. Uh, uh, I I can give you the hand history real quick if you want. Sure. Was that the one where he said he folded kings, or was that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. my god. So gosh. he claims
1: to have kings right here. So I raise, he calls from the small blind, I believe, and I have ace-queen. The flop comes ace-ten-nine-rainbow. And I see that flop and Phil like check, literally check min raises. I made it 2,400 on the flop and he goes 24 more. <laughs> and Phil's got like, Phil's doing this. So he makes it 4,800 and he had like a 16 or 17 K stack. So I just rip it on him. I'm just like, <laughs> I'm just going to take my equity right here. And he, he folds and he claims he had pocket Kings, which is,
0: no he was played it. well and on top of it what does he do like i think he whispers loudly to his neighbor right like what yeah. <laughs> he goes, yeah. goes, like after the hand he like he like kind of inconspicuously just goes would you believe i had kings there and like dude- <laughs> uh, it, it was epic i love playing the film
1: man he's so much fun to play with uh so yeah our table ended up breaking after a couple hours um, oh, and, uh, kind of just ran it up the rest of, uh, day two. I don't remember what I finished with probably mm-hmm. like 200 ish.
0: Yeah. You were pretty, uh, you were like the top 5%. Definitely most, the uh, most day two and three, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Day
1: three was, uh, day three was when we got in the money. And I remember one hand on day three, <laughs> this guy kind of, he's a rag. I want out him, but, he limped small blind. Oh gosh. I, this is this is this the hand
0: with the king seven? The king salmon? No, oh, no. Oh my gosh. No. You, you gotta retell that. that, that. Was, That's a day one hand, right? Uh that was an epic blow-up. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm getting out of
1: chronological. Go go ahead. Tell the day three hand. Oh uh, so day three, this is kind of how I boom my stack up on day three. He limps small blind. I have pocket sevens in the big blind. I like braze over his limp. And he just stuffs in like Thirty-eight big blinds, which is an absurd amount of big blinds to limp shove. And I, like, I know he's a reg, and I know he's a good player, and like, he's just never doing this with strong hands. So I was just like, "Oh my gosh!" I was kind of sick about it, and I just said to him, "I guess we're taking a big flip." I call, and he actually has pocket sixes, so I just had him crushed. Yeah, and I mean that was pretty epic blow up by him. I mean, we were like. Pretty close to the bubble. He he screwed himself out of a min cash. It was pretty bad.
0: Yeah, and he got... I mean, but that's one of the worst hands he's going to be doing that with, right? Like, you would think. I don't even know. I mean, I think
1: it's one of the best hands he's going to be doing it with. I don't think he's... I don't think he's doing that with, like, any premium hand,
0: you know? Well, no, he's definitely not premium there. But, I mean, like, I'm saying for... I mean, you're, you're going to get into mostly... F- a lot of flips there, right? You would think he's like, oh, right. That's what I'm saying is that most of the time he's gonna have two over cards, like even if it's as bad as like oh, a yeah. ten nine suited, like he's just gonna have. Yeah, I think he's gonna of- have a lot of broadways, like
1: king jack off and ace ten exactly. and stuff like that.
0: Yeah. Gosh, he just rips it. Okay, yeah, I forgot about that. Do Do you want to quickly back up and tell the the day one hand? I thought that was a little amusing because we did satellite a lot of people in. <laughs> uh, we actually just gave a raffle away for like playing live cash. If you made a full house with both whole cards at Commerce, we had us you got this ticket, win a big drum every Sunday night for two months. We gave away 10K seats. Pretty, pretty amazing to some of like our live cash players. Um and so there were definitely some some inexperienced players. Um,
1: you know. I, I think this is why it's one of the softest 10k's of the year, because yeah, like this guy gets moved to our table. This is a hand history. Uh this is day I've one, got, right? This is, yeah, towards the end of day one. I've got a relatively tough table at this point. You know, a couple of regs have filled seats, whatever. And I don't know, preflop, whatever it goes. It's three ways on the flop. And the flop is eight.
0: Let me make sure I get this right. Eight. No, it's eight, a- five, four. No, 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 no. It's got. Yeah, yeah. no, it's going to be Eight six yeah. five. Eight, six, five. Anyways, uh,
1: no, no, it's eight, five, four. OK, it's, OK. It's eight, five, four flop rainbow, eight, five, four rainbow. And it goes like pre flop razor C bets. Some guy who clearly satellited in like he just got to the tail five minutes ago, but he satellited in, <laughs> if you know what I mean, <laughs> this guy rips in like into probably a six K pot. This guy rips in like 20 K just like an absurdly big over And this reg who's been playing reasonably
0: and been bragging like he's been talking about how good he is. And well, there's another guy
1: at the table that's been talking him up like he's the best or whatever. And he just like, thinks for a while and calls it off with King seven offsuit. The board is eight, five, four rainbow. And he just calls us like three X pot rip with King seven offsuit. (laughs) And (gasps) To make it worse, the guy that ripped all in this like satellite player, he had five seven. He had bottom pair and a seven to block the guy. There's like almost no way this guy can win, and it goes like running diamonds. And the guy has a seven and diamond. The king seven guy has seven and diamonds. It was like it was just the most absurd thing ever. <laughs> this rig just called like a 3X pot shove with a bear gutter and it's backdoor diamonds. Oh. It was disgusting. I felt so bad for this qualifier guy. <laughs> it's like, he's going to go home and kick his dog. It's terrible.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, that one was probably one of the craziest hand histories for a large buy-in event I've heard. Like, you would even be like. Yeah, I looked around him like, this is a 10K, right?
1: This is absurd.
0: <laughs> I mean, uh back when we used to play the Venetian deep stack for like three fifty or whatever, you would be even a little bit shocked to see something like that. But yeah, uh, poker is alive friends. It's good. To, yeah, good it was epic. It's good to be chased. Um, okay. So take us into getting close to the bubble. This guy, rip, you know, just rips his sixes into you. Um, so, I mean, it was
1: kind of just smooth sailing from there. We, uh, finished the day with a lot of chips going to day four. I think we were down to four tables four or five tables and uh oh I can't remember if it was the end of day three or the end of day four but I got really short and I was going into the last day I was I was in the tournament I, I went into the day with like th- something like 14 big blinds I was really short and I got sad at Phil Humvee's table again. Which nice. was fun. <laughs> yeah. So I go into the day really short and managed to get through a couple of shove spots. I think one of them I got through is actually like someone raised and I rip in 14 blinds and knee folds, which is a huge pickup. So I actually run it up to like 40 ish, big blinds and probably like 35 big blinds. And then I get moved to a new table to balance tables I think we we're down to probably uh, 30-ish players, maybe 28 players. And I get moved to balanced tables. And very firsthand at the new table, I'm in the big blind. I get pocket jacks, uh, Well-known, fairly well-known pro raises, like, cut off. I 3-bet, and he jams in, like, 27 big blinds with Ace King. And I lose a flip for – I mean, there's heaps of big, big blinds late in the tournament. It was, like – 55 big blinds. So well, that crippled me.
0: And, and I think, I mean, just doesn't even matter too much, but you were holding all the way to the end, right? Uh, yeah.
1: The nasty run out brick, 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 brick King. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, it, I really felt like I was going to win that one. I hate, I hate it. I hate the, like, I feel like I'm going to win or I don't feel it like coming or whatever. But after I coming into the day with 13 blinds and then running it up and then getting in this huge flip, and the river King, I really didn't feel it coming. So it, it was a dagger. It hurt. Yeah. Uh, that uh. let me, left me short, but luckily I kind of just like stuck around, survived. I sucked out a couple times to get back to a, a workable stack and, It kind of just coasted until I finally went kaput 19th place. (laughs) Went
0: kaput. Uh, Let's talk about that, because I think that that's one of those spots where, I mean, definitely, obviously, bust outs never feel good. But I think you, uh, I don't know how you feel about it. Do you want to walk uh, us through it really quick? Yeah, I kind of regret
1: it. So i had been pretty card dead. Um, I think I have a pretty tight image. And one player, the player that ends up busting me here, He's got a lot of chips. Um, I think he ended up getting second in the tournament. I can't remember his name. Very good player. Very good player. Um, And he's been very active. He's been playing his big stack and opening a lot of pots. So he opens middle. uh, I think he opens hijack. And I'm in the small blind with ace-eight offsuit and 14 big blinds. I think it's real close. I think I'm definitely ahead of his opening range. Um but this is where, like, I think Phil Helmuth is the man because he just wouldn't take the spot. Phil Phil has this like uncanny ability to value his tournament life and like know when to go with it, know when not to. So I think I could have gotten away from this, but I end up ripping it, and he has Ace King. Um, so this is why I'm excited to talk to Phil because he's so good at these spots where I'm just like, oh, I'm ahead of his opening range, can't be that bad, and <laughs> stick it in.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I've never been in that spot, but I just – I I agree. I think that there's there's some value to trying to find because because in those bigger tournaments, like I don't know what your table draw was. But if there's still – I know for a fact like one of the guys who we're rooting for, uh, he busted out in, in the 20s, I think. But I mean there's still some soft spots there where they're not adjusting well to the pressure of the fact that like, oh my gosh, I'm one of 20 people who might win a million dollars. So I'm sure, like, part of it is trying to find those people, isolate them, pick on their blinds, um, or find someone who's just, I don't know, just not going to play blind versus blind well or, or some of those spots. But I know the field was getting tough. I mean... Yeah, most of the
1: soft money had busted. It was it was a fairly tough field at this point. So. Yeah. Uh, well... Say uh cash for thirty nine thousand. Yeah, paid for the trip. Not a bad, not a bad week. Uh, I won in cash game, so it was a good trip. It was a good trip. Yeah. Well, bro, uh, how about a celebratory drink? <laughs> Let's do it. All
0: right, here we are. All right, the uh, Mosaic Cantina, drinking away our sorrows of not shipping, but making some deep runs in the last month or two.
1: Yeah, you know what? Celebratory drink. We're uh, not drinking out of sadness here. So okay. let's talk about a floor call over this. Uh, I don't know what we're having orc juice over here.
0: <laughs> orc, orc juice? Oh my <laughs> gosh. Oh, <laughs> you. Okay. Can, red beard? All right. So all right. right. Floor,
1: floor call for the floor master, Andrew. So this is from a cash game. It's a 1025 no limit game. Maybe playing with the straddle. I don't remember. But okay, here's the spot. Uh, regular player in the game opens a recreational player calls. I three bet with ace of clubs, Jack of hearts, and it ends up going, uh, the reg calls and the recreational player calls and pre flop. Everyone else had folded and the dealer was like pulling in all the folded cards and almost grabbed my cards. And I like had to stop him from grabbing my cards. So keep that in mind. It comes up later. So anyway, on the flop, uh, I think he goes check, check, possibly checks through. On the turn, um, the recreational player bets, I call. And on the river, it comes out where like a straight draw and a flush draw brick, and he bets river again. And I'm sitting on, on river, I have ace high, and I'm like, uh, I think I'm going to put a hero call in so I hero call river with my ace high right and he goes you're good I have a miss flush draw and of course I'm not going to make him table his hand or muck it or whatever I once he says you're good I'm already turning over my hand I go to turn over my hand I turn over a single jack of hearts and I have no other card I have one card on the river
0: <laughs> and how, how much money is in the middle again There's probably like
1: $3,000 in the middle. (laughs) So let's, we'll start with you get called over floor. What do you do? And then we'll go and and talk about
0: what actually happened. It's interesting. I mean, I'll tell you what we do at Commerce and at every poker room I've ever worked at, but I've actually heard an alternative to this, which is, and I'll tell you kind of which one I prefer. Um, Anytime that a player has, less or more cards than they started with, their hands just instantly dead. No ifs, ands, or buts. People get frustrated because let's say you're in the one or nine seat, which is no fun. Dealer accidentally grabs your cards with someone else's. Um it's a player's job to protect their hand, protect their action, you know, and, and it kind of goes in line with that. So ultimately the hardline rule would be if you called me over, is that with one card your hand's dead. And and really the reasoning behind it is pretty solid, which is you know, let's say two people are sitting next to each other and they're like trying to pass cards without people noticing. If one of them ends up with 3 cards and one of them ends up with 1 card, you know, their hands have to be dead. You can't you can't allow people to not to show up on the river or a showdown with the incorrect number of cards. Same thing is with if you actually sometimes it's discovered you have like a different colored card, it's the same thing unfortunately. So, it's odd, but as a player, you take a lot of responsibility for the content of your hand uh which rarely comes into play but i guess in this situation obviously did um i've heard though from florida from some of my colleagues that new hires from florida actually out there at the casino they worked at and they claim it's all over florida if you end up having less cards than you started with since it's a disadvantage to you you're allowed to play less cards so they gave the example like in omaha where you get like four cards or big O where you get five cards. If you end up showing up with like three cards, let's say, and you win a part of the pot, that's completely acceptable. I think it's better if there's an irregularity um, that it's not allowed. So what that does is it shifts the responsibility to the player that once there's an irregularity, you need to bring it to the dealer's attention as soon as possible. So they can like misdeal or try to figure out what happened in the hand. If there's like a card under the rail what have you. So in your situation though, I was kind of like a little bit surprised. Um, Chase's run goods continue. So uh, any other (laughs) place in the universe, Chase would be like losing $3,000, I think in the spot, or they'd be chopping the pot.
1: And I I knew it. I, I knew that if a floor was called, I was toast. There's no doubt about it. Like you're spot on with your ruling and that's what it is like almost everywhere. I'm surprised about the Florida thing, but so what happened was, and we were like frantically searching under the rail for my card. It was like a where's Waldo of, of my whole card. But so I turn over the Jack of hearts and what ends up happening was (laughs) some, another player at the table was like, well, can you beat Jack high? And he goes, man, I can't even beat that. And he mucks it and I win the pot. The deal just pushes me the pot. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, I got off the hook so bad right there. Cause I know it's going to be a dead hand if a floor gets called. But again, we've talked about this before when you're in, when you're in a high stakes game, floor is rarely called because you more or less figure it out on your own. And, and people act honorably, you know, I've seen, I've seen people actually muck their hand in an all in like, all in call and a guy mucks his hand and then the dealer is about to push the pot and he goes, wait a second. And he pulls his hand out of the muck and says, oh, I had this and it, like counterfeited and he won half the pot.
0: So, like, I've seen
1: this stuff happen and and I think it's good if they can come
0: to their own conclusion as we do. Yeah, most of I've seen it both ways, but I would say 90%. I'm even going to say it's as high as 98% of the time. There's a camaraderie amongst the players of the social players at that level that are like having a good time and everyone is trying to be on their best behavior for those people. And you kind of lean in their, their, their way for decisions. And then the players that are all like professionals or, or want to be professionals, maybe they're break even, you know, and those people usually, if it comes to a close decision, they just voluntarily take the worst of it. In this situation with this um, businessman gentleman who's in your game frequently, I mean, you completely would have taken the word You would not have protested if he's like, that's absolutely absurd. I'm taking the pot. Like you would have just. Uh,
1: no, I would not have put up a fight. I you mean, would maybe been like, if, have it's, against, if or- it's against, yeah, if it's against another pro in the game, you know, you you, you can talk to him and be like, hey, man, you know, like I, I'm pretty sure I would do the same for you. I, I think it's the right thing to do, but at the end of the day you know it's your decision but when it's against uh this guy a recreational player what what are you gonna do you know he won the hand i'm not gonna make a big deal out of it you know i'm the pro i take it and it's not but a i mean big deal. the bottom
0: luckily bottom we, line is luckily
1: we fortunately go ahead. i
0: was just gonna say the bottom line is chase is still running good in life and he's winning three thousand dollar pots with one card
1: and the lower of the two. So it's probably the only time I'll ever win a pot with one card. I showed on. It was awesome. Oh my gosh!
0: All right, uh, yeah. <laughs> let's. Uh, you want to move forward to some some mail? We actually.
1: Yeah, let's get to some mailbag. Okay.
0: So, uh, you want to read out the first one? Yeah, I think uh, this one. We do. You want to get into? Let's hear from Wes. Wes asks in LAPC, what were two of the most uh, consequential mistakes at the tournament, one in which you made a mistake and lost, and one where your opponent uh, that you're aware of uh, and you won. So your opponent making a mistake. Do you want to answer one or both of those those questions? I thought it might have been that Ace Eight because I know you were, you know, a yeah. lot of times when I talk to Chase. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the moment you bust out, like you give a quick analysis and then sometimes you'll take a day or two and be like, eh, actually, I don't think it was good. I think it was bad or I think it was fine. This is one where I w- I don't think you think it's bad at all, but I don't think you you felt maybe it was the best spot to like put your tournament life.
1: Yeah, I would have to say that would be the one I'd pick for myself. And like you said, it's a close spot, but I think I can I, I think I should have passed on it. So that would be my mistake. Um, I, I would actually say the biggest the mistake sixes, I right? saw, this, the sixes might have been, I'll, I'll throw this one in there. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> well, I don't, I don't want to rag on your buddy, but one of the qualifiers was literally like sitting out for a third of the tournament because he just won the ladder up. Oh, yeah. Which I think yeah. is... Is a huge mistake if you don't have to play hands, but just be present.
0: You know, like what if you get aces? Well, he was literally, it was out. so awesome. My, my, one of my, um, my buddies, um, we'll just call him Bob. So, Bob is a regular 816, maybe he plays 2040 stud, uh, played some tournaments he claims, but he, he must have run hot in a couple spots. Chase played maybe five percent of the tournament with him. Um, but he ended up getting a pretty big chip stack, and he just blinded himself into the money, played a couple of hands, kept doing that, and he's an avid smoker, so but I mean, he's a sweet man, and he ended up taking like let's say around thirty k and he's given it to his son for a down payment for his house i mean yeah, it's, like I didn't
1: even weird? want to bring it up because yeah the guy's he's a cool guy and like i like him a lot we we talked on break we chatted on break great guy but at the same time man just sit there and see if you pick up aces yeah that's, know, that's pretty all bad
0: it's pretty bad i mean i know that he probably missed my, my buddy bob he probably missed like god knows maybe like 20 percent of the tournament from just blinding out just trying to make the money
1: uh, at least
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay at least um yeah Chase, here's, a, here's uh, one from so, John K. Is that cool if we jump up to that one? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. He says, Chase, do you have a favorite and least favorite seat position at the table?
1: Um, so I would say, and John later in his email says the almost the opposite of me. I actually like sitting in the one or the nine seat right by the dealer because it's easy to see the board. And I think it's just comfortable. You only have a player on one side of you like to compete with elbow room. Uh, so yeah, I like the one or the 19 Dude, you, next you to the You are dealer.
0: the craziest person ever for, and I'll tell you why, because when I sit in the one or nine, the thing that n- will always happen is I will bump my stupid knee on the corner of that box and it hurts Ooh. like a son of a gun. That's like, that's the worst thing about one or nine. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm not clumsy, I oh, guess. <laughs> yeah. You're known for your grace. Um, <laughs> Uh, okay, Do and I think we had a, a third one you wanted to go through. Uh, well, what's your favorite seat? Me? Uh, I don't really mind. Like I really – for me, I don't really like the one of the nine, uh, probably the end seats. And I'm known to get tilted a little bit when the dealers are overly chatty, uh, which kind of happens at the limits I play. So <laughs> I prefer to sound the, the edges and kind of tune people out. So – I'm that
1: guy. Yeah. Uh, the last question from AJ, um, he asked any memorable conversations when I was tabled with Phil and in oh LA. Oh my gosh. So many. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there really were, man. He, he like, I actually posted on Instagram. He went off on this guy, like calling this, this, you know, middle-aged guy, a uh, this young kid or whatever, this kid. And, uh, I took a video of it uh, and the guy actually is like offended at being called a kid. And <laughs> and <laughs> they, back to
0: but I remember, right. Like he them. was like,
1: <laughs> yeah, he's like, Oh kid. That's not, that's not an insult. That's a good thing. Yeah. I don't know. It was, I got a lot of them. Check out my Instagram, man. I put a bunch of them up and they're, they're entertaining to say the least.
0: Yeah. I just, you know, I don't, I don't think he probably was going to listen to our podcast. So I'm just going to say it. Like one of the questions I had for you is, does he have a persona or is that him being genuine all the time? And and you're, and I love your comment, which is kind of what I figured anyways, but go ahead. Like does Phil Hellmuth have a persona that he's like, is he playing a caricature of himself or is that who he is?
1: Phil does not have a persona that is a hundred percent genuine, like honor off the table. That's just, that's how he is. And it's awesome. He's just true to himself. That's how he is. He's super competitive. Uh, he gets emotional. Like it's awesome. It's not a show. It's really he, not a show, which really surprised he's so me. So great.
0: I mean, I remember when Aria just opened, and they had like the special thing for I think him and a couple of the other poker hosts. And and I walked by him, and I told you this story, and I made eye contact with him, and I was just shocked at how tall he is because he's really tall. But he smiled because he I recognized him, and he was so happy to be recognized. uh He's just that guy. Like he's just he's just amazing.
1: He loves it, man. He loves his like. He loves his uh, famous Phil Hellmuth lifestyle, man. And it just it suits him. I it mean, for does. better or worse, he just he just rocks. Well, it. And, and
0: to be truthful, I think he mostly, especially as he's tamed down a little bit in some spots, he's a pretty good ambassador. You know, like I mean, he's he's a big oh, personality because realistically, like there's certain people that are just so dry they don't really enhance the game. At Least, like, even my wife knows who Phil. When I said, Oh, yeah, you know, I need to do a podcast at a different time than usual, uh, because we got Phil Helmuth, she's like, Oh, that guy. <laughs> I was like, Yeah, she, she knows who he is. She's like, She knows Chase, me, and Phil Helmuth. That's about all she knows.
1: <laughs> so, yeah. my, my wife, too, man, she knows Negranu and Helmuth. <laughs> she's like, Now, is he the one I like or I don't like? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, Phil's great. Uh, I just enjoy playing with him. He gets. He gets a lot of hate from people and he's a very polarizing obviously sure. but he really he really is pretty soft around the edges when you talk to him just on a on a person to person level not 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 in the game in the heat of the game in the heat of battle Phil gets fired up but on a person in person level like
0: he'll always take pictures he, he's a pretty nice guy i like Phil yeah, a lot Yeah i th- i think he he does a lot of good for the game um i think he's a pretty decent ambassador overall even though he's got that big big persona um and we're really excited to be able to have this opportunity. I think within the next week we're gonna set something up, lock it in with him. So do us a favor, Chase, go ahead, plug our our social media outlets, um, your Instagram. Yes, get sir. to us. Uh the
1: the best way to get a in uh let me say that again. The best way to get a hold of us is through the email, top two pokercast at gmail.com Guys, send in the questions you have for Phil, about Phil, whatever you got. Um, also I'll throw, uh, I'll throw something up on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, my Twitter at chase underscore Bianchi, Instagram.com slash chase Bianchi. Andrew, what's your Instagram? You just got on
0: there, right? It's super, super impressive. Bradshaw, Andrew J. That is my Instagram. Wow. So formal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no.
1: Are you sure that's not your LinkedIn? Oh, gosh, what a stiff. Oh, oh, oh okay, What's yours? <laughs> Chase Bianchi, bro. I'm me. M- mine's my name too. You? L- I mean. Oh my <laughs>
0: gosh. Just me.
1: If I could put a Star Wars like emoticon Listen, with mine, I would, but a, I can't.
0: An overweight, a husky Star Wars emoticon with a beard. Yes. Wow. Going for the weight wow. jokes. huh? Oh, nice. Good I game, mean, dude. No, but thanks, man. I, but I'm I'm I mentioned insecure, the beard. Man. You can't be insecure about your huskiness. Look, you're just <laughs> pre-training for Santa when you have kids and you're, you're, you're killing it, man. You're there. I'm I'm gonna be an excellent Oh, stanter. You're jolly. You're constantly jolly. I mean, it's perfect. Uh <laughs> all right. Shall we shall we return to our Overwatch from from whence we came? Oh yes. I want to go play some Hanzo. Let's all do right. it. Uh
1: that, that's it. That's a wrap. We're gonna have Phil on next week, get your questions in and beat Blast fam. All, all right, love you guys. Bye.